Oh, hi there. It's Crystal, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 1. And every slow-motion hallway walk scene in a teen movie made me queer. Special shout-out to Jawbreaker! Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and personal moments that shaped us. Each week, I will interview a special guest who will bring a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wild card that help them understand, accept, or embrace their queerness. Fab! I hope you're enjoying season two of the podcast so far. Uh, it's been great getting your feedback and hearing your reactions to it. Um... So please keep that coming in. And as always, please help spread the word and share the podcast with your friends and your loved ones, your, I don't know, your postal worker, whoever needs a little bit of queerness in their life. You know, at the time of recording, it's still Pride Month, so spread the queer! A little note on this podcast before we continue. I use the word queer a lot here. For me, it's a fabulous umbrella term which encompasses the gorgeous entirety of the LGBTQIA community. And it's a community that I'm trying to show the richness of with this podcast. For me, the word queer is a brilliant way of saying not straight. But this word may not feel right for you, and that is totally okay. You can feel free to substitute mentally any word that makes you feel gorgeous. And also, just some food for thought. Gay was originally used as a slur before it was reclaimed and became the norm, and people have been reclaiming queer since as early as the 1910s. The more you know. Anyway, on with the show! My guest this week is Mickey Blanco. If you're somehow not familiar, they are a trailblazing musician and performance artist. We have a super cool and frank chat about all sorts of queer business, from their trans experience to getting a phone call from Madonna, as you do. By the time this episode comes out, their second studio album, Broken Hearts and Beauty Sleep, has come out, so be sure to go check that out. I am super excited for you to hear this combo, so let's just get into it. Ladies and gentle thems, it's Mickey Blanco. So hi, Mickey. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. Hi, <laughs> hi. Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> hi. So nice to be chatting with you. Where in the world are you right now? So right now, I am in New York City. I've been living between New York and Paris for the last seven months, seven months. Um, yeah. And uh, that's where that's where she is that's where i am that's where they are <laughs> well thank you for making time for me on a monday new york morning um before we start mickey can you just tell me how you identify and what your pronouns are um so usually now i am I'm okay with like they them but really i was having this conversation the other day it's kind of like me and my friends refer to everyone as she. So, mm-hmm. so, so it's kind of like default she, but I, I, honestly, I respond to everything now, but usually prefer to they, them. They, them. Great. Um, yeah, you've had a really 
I'm sure we're going to get into this, but you've had a really kind of public um, journey with pronouns and all of that. And I think it's, it's just really wonderful. And I love, I love how public you've been about not, you haven't made statements, you've made questions, um, it seems to me. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a child actor or something, right? <laughs> no, but, no, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's been really, um, it's been kind of surreal because, no, I, I turn 35 next month and, uh, I definitely have reflected on the fact that like my gender, I like the journey of my gender identity and kind of all of that life stuff has been very, very public and, uh, very, very public in a way that most people have not been. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, that's just, I get that, that that's just the reality of, of my life. So, yeah, it's, it's, it has been interesting. It has, it has been interesting because it's definitely would not have, looking, looking back, looking back, I probably would have given myself much more privacy. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, that, that's, it's just, it's just the reality of, of my of my journey and it and because it's so and because it's been so intertwined in my creative and then uh, professional journey it, it was yeah it was it's kind of like this symbiotic relationship so I, I, I def, it's definitely been something that I have embraced um, you know and that I just had to accept that <laughs> it's very public <laughs> we have such a an expectation for people to once they present something to the public that they've got it figured out. And it's really unfair on the person behind the art because we're all just learning and growing all the time. Well, and, and for me, for me, I'm, I know, and for me, I know that I'm unique in that not only is my particular story unique, but that the time and the place and what was happening in society, what was happening in the world and how it was very much on the precipice of a very changing, very changing world. Um, and, and I was so much younger, you know, I, I was, I was, I was 25 when I began uh, creating music for the first time. And, and it was through the vehicle of Mickey Blanco as, as, as this, this, this kind of like conceptual idea that I then really delved into what would be the discovery of my trans identity. Um, and, 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 and just a whole heap of spiritual and psychological, uh, layers to my own self. Uh, so yeah, it, like it, it, it's like, it, but, but you know what, when you think about it from a certain perspective, it would make sense that the chrysalis or the nucleus or the nucleus, I should say, of, of, of a very kind of creative energy and creative idea would also then be this, this vehicle for self-discovery. You know, like that, 100%. that does make, that does make sense. And do you think that maybe some of the ways that you figured yourself out have been through public reaction and seeing yourself reflected back? I know certainly for me, part of the way I, I understand myself is in relation to other people. And I'm sure that must be a bit of a head fuck to have it on such a big platform, but maybe in some ways it was useful as well. Well, what was, and see, well, and see, so what basically happened was that in 2010, because um, I had, I had gone to art school, I had dropped out of two art schools, I had dropped out of, uh, dropped out of Parsons, and I dropped out of school in Chicago, um, and I, I really kind of was at that, that point where 
you know, you get to New York City and you think you're going to do this and you think you're going to do that. And then you're just poor. (laughs) 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 And so, and so, and so I, and so like, and so I was like, wait, like, I was like, you know, I, I, I have to still excel at something. I've just dropped out of college. Like I have to, I've I've dropped out of college twice. Like I have to like still be creative. I have to figure something out. So I started, you know, interning for a bunch of galleries and interning for everyone I could and hanging around art and fashion people. And, and, you know, I, I, one day I conceived of this, this, this character um, who would be a high school senior. Um, She was a girl named Mickey and she would want to be a famous female rapper. And, and the idea had come about uh, between the very uh, public feud that was going on between Nicki Minaj and Little Kim. And so- Similar uh, times. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so Little Kim, and Little Kim had, a, had kind of this alias called Kimmy Blanco and Nicki Minaj had literally just stepped on the scene. And so when I created the name Nicki Blanco, it was a nod to my own name, Michael, Nicki, but also Kimmy, Kimmy Blanco, and then Nicki, Nicki Minaj. So, uh, so I, I had kind of conceived of, of Mickey as this like third contender in, in the ring. And it was a video art project, but that video art project was also the first time that I ever, uh, that I ever made myself up uh, in, into drag and, and, was, and, and was presenting as, as, as femme. And it was through the creation of this character of this character of this character you know first that was kind of this caricature of me that then you know all of a sudden I wasn't only wearing makeup and hair you know and dressing you know and presenting as femme for you know for the for the character then it became something that I was doing uh every single day and that was kind of like the birth of like my like trans identity um and when I look back to that time, it was it was so exciting because um, I didn't really I, I I didn't really question what I was doing in this analytical way. Like it, it really all came from the heart, and and I remember thinking back, and a lot of people that knew me, even people that you know were supportive of 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 of, of this 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 beginning of the transition, they were very much in shock. They were very much in shock because it had been so uncharacteristic of, I think, who I had I had previously been in their eyes, and so I, I but I, but I remember not, but I, I honestly remember not caring, and I remember I think not caring because I was getting so much positive kind of like reinforcement from the outside world. You know, this this was a time in New York City where you did not have the same level of trans visibility that you have today. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember this was a time very much so when, honestly, you, and and this is just me, this is, but I really only really remember seeing, you know, transgender people a handful of times. And it was usually, I mean, in Midtown Manhattan, um, there were a few parties, and I remember going to these parties, finding out about these parties from like forums and all this kinds of stuff. And, and it, it was just a wild time because it's, I mean, there's so many layers. I, I remember like some of the girls, like, you know, trying to get me to not go to the parties because at the time I wasn't medically transitioning and, and, you know, and, and they were wow. like, you know, 
And they were like, they were like, you know, you don't belong. And they were like, I remember this one girl was like, you don't belong here. You know, like, you know, like you need to like take care of yourself. You need to like get on hormones before you come back around here. Like, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot. And then I had also like all of these other people I was friends with being just like, oh, like, you know, what's what's going on with you? Um, but then, but then like, you know, it, it, it was, you know, it was these simple things like, you know, I would go out and people would smile at me on the street and, and people would pay me these compliments and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, like, uh, I was receiving all this positive attention from like people in the fashion world. And, and so it was, it, it was, it was like, I, I don't know, it, it, it was like, truthfully, like the birth of this really wonderful, exciting, just energy that I had never experienced. And one of the only reasons at that time that I did not end up medically transitioning was because of, of fear. Um, I had a lot of fear around what my family would think. And I think it was generally this idea of feeling like people were okay with it as long as it was just dress up, but they weren't okay with mm. it if it was if it was taken too far. And that and that fear, um, that fear really, 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 yeah, really, really, really held held me up, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But then, <laughs> but then, <laughs> drum roll, <laughs> But then what ended up happening was that wading, wading through that fear, I kind of came to discover that I could still be who I am and feel who I am and have these feelings and not medically transition. And that was also okay. And so, you know, I, I always say this about being a millennial, people I should say some people, maybe a lot of people, maybe a lot of people don't, but I kind of always feel like people think millennials are this like very transgressive, like extremely forward thinking generation. And to be quite honest, as a millennial, as like an upper millennial, as you know, I was born in 1986, I don't, I don't really feel that. I feel like, I feel like a lot of the millennial generation, I feel like a lot of us still deal very much so in these binaries. Mm -hmm. And there are these binaries that we were taught, and there were these binaries that even as queer people, we fully embraced. Um, uh, my my nieces are like eighteen and, and nineteen, and they're very you know they're definitely Gen Z, and it just seems like you know Gen Z you know they're so you know they're like they're totally oh they have no hangups about being like pansexual or bisexual or this. Or that. And you know, when I was like 17, all of like my gay friends at the time in high school, like if like if I had a said I was interested in a girl, they would have been like, ew. <laughs> they would have been totally. like they would have been like, ew, like you are you are either this or you're either that. And I just feel like that same binary attitude, very I, I just, you know, I, I just feel like I was definitely under the cloak and veil of that thinking for a very long time because that's kind of that's the world like I, that's that that's my generation you know I'm nodding so vigorously because I feel also that I had to really unlearn a lot of toxic white cis gay male stuff that like yeah when I was coming out when I was 18 was like that was the prevailing gay culture and actually now you look at the prevailing gay, gay culture now and there's a there's a big difference I think 
Um, so there is, there's lots of op, um, optimism for me for, from Gen Z. Well, um, and that's, yeah, and that, yeah, and that, and that was that, I guess that was that thing that, that was that thing of like, of, of, of even feeling like from the queer community for a long time that I had to be within certain binaries, you know what I mean? To make sense mm -hmm. or, or, or to have it be a language that, that, that even my own community would understand. 100%. And so where does that leave you now in terms of identity? Do you still consider yourself like, I don't know, yeah, where does it leave you? Genderqueer, trans, where in that spectrum? Or do you kind of just not worry about that too much? <laughs> well, okay, this is the thing. I don't worry about it too much because I've spoken about it so much. <laughs> but um, I would say this, I, I, I would say this, I would say that I am definitely a person of trans experience, um, but I think I just identify as like genderqueer, you know? I identify as genderqueer because that feels very, that just feels so broad. And I don't think that I can ever think, I don't think that after what I've lived and how I've lived and what I've experienced, I could ever really ever go back to feeling like I'm just you know, this one singular, you know, binary, you know? Um, but then also, to be quite honest, I feel like I'm not really Gen Z enough to be like, I'm non-binary, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like that, like that's the, like, you know, like, so I think genderqueer is kind of like where I would fall. And then maybe just very seriously, per person of trans experience. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a great way to say it. And, you know, labels are only useful until they're not anymore. And they can be super restrictive if they don't feel right. So, um, sorry to pressure you into saying something no there, but i think i do no, think it's no, interesting because no. you've you've um you have really publicly kind of reckoned with all of that so um anyway we got into the really heavy stuff straight away which i love <laughs> but um shall we get into it shall we get into the things that made you queer yes let's get into the things that made my my ass queer <laughs> <laughs> Film or TV series? Okay, so up first, we've got your film or TV series, and you have said the iconic sitcom, Sybil. Okay, so if Wait, you before are... we get into Sybil, <laughs> where, where are we in the world? How old are we? Okay, picture it. Set the scene, yeah. Picture it. <laughs> I feel like, I, yeah, picture it, Sicily, 1943. Um, picture it, Raleigh, North Carolina, 11-year-old uh, Mickey Blanco, like, uh, in a, in a, in a three-room cottage, <laughs> um, in a three-room cottage-style home. Um, so, uh, there was a brief period, so, okay, so my sister is 13 years older than me. So when okay. I was like four, she was like already 18, but she weirdly like never moved out for a long time. <laughs> so, so there was, so, so there was only kind of these brief periods where it was just me and my mom. And anyways, so one of these periods of maybe two or three years where it was just me and my mom before my sister came back, uh, me and my mom uh, developed this obsession with this a wonderful TV show that existed called Sybil. Um, and Sybil, <laughs> Sybil starred the American television and film actress, uh, Sybil Sheridan. And it was actually about an actress 
who had been famous like Sybil in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, and this was supposed to be her like, you know, she, she, was, she was trying to come back. And so the, the show centered around her uh, and her t- two ex-husbands, uh, her two daughters from those two marriages, and then her best friend, who literally is the reason why I watched the show, her best friend, who is Christine Baranski as the iconic character, Marianne Thorpe. Yes. And, and, and I, I honestly think, like, if you are not queer, maybe you will never know what Sybil was. But if you talk to anyone <laughs> who is queer, <laughs> most of the time of a certain age, they know and love Sybil. <laughs> 100%. And for people who don't know Marianne or Sybil, like, you can picture a Patsy kind of character from Ab Fab yeah. or... Um, or what's her face from Will and Grace? Like that uh, acerbic Karen. drunk lady. Yeah, the yeah, Karen. Yeah. From- and and I didn't and so I didn't know about Abfab until I was like into college, you know? Like I I had never I had never seen Abfab until I was in college, but she very much is a Patsy, you know, like Marianne has this ex-husband named Dr. Dick. And, uh, and, you know, and she's always, but she's like, like, she's like, it's her ex-husband, but she's always exacting revenge on him. Like, it's like, there's never, there's never enough revenge. And there's always like a martini in her hand. And, mm-hmm. and she just, it's, 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 it's just so funny because it's like her and Sybil's relationship, you know, it, it, it teeters on depressing at times, <laughs> but, but it's, it's like, it's so, it's so comical. I mean, Sybil herself, is also just always dealing with like her ex-husbands because they just because her ex-husbands are kind of obsessed with her um and like won't leave her alone so yeah like it yeah it, it, it's it's one of those, those shows. it's a real like waspy uh stereotype that i think a whole generation of gays kind of that was our visibility because we didn't have gay people to look up to we had drunk bitter <laughs> white ladies <laughs> which is no which is which is actually so surreal it's so surreal how true that is um yeah and you know what's funny is i, I like and that was oh that was the other thing because will and grace was on at that time and as i got older i became more comfortable you know what's kind of funny is obviously as a teen i was obsessed with will and grace and would, and would watch will and grace but at that age, at age 11, it was like, I felt almost too afraid to watch mm-hmm. Will and Grace. Like, like mm-hmm. that was like, like, that was like too gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I totally. didn't any, like, I didn't want anyone to know that I watched Will and Grace, but I was like very okay with like Golden Girls, Sybil, Sybil, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I totally relate. So at age 11, like, yeah, do you, how much reckoning have you done with yourself about your queerness at age 11 yeah any well, at all well what's what's really funny is that okay so looking back at that age um a few things okay so one of them is that i now know that as a child any boy that i thought was really really cool <laughs> like if i thought he was like so cool that actually was like my child language for like thinking he was like hot, you know, mm-hmm. like, or like thinking he was like cute. Like when I think back to the boys that I thought were like so cool, like 
Andrew or like Alex or like Jamie or like, you know, it's like, actually, like, I had the hots for them, but like, in my child brain, like, couldn't translate that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that at that age, now this is very just like pubescent, but at that age, me and my friend Ricardo, after school, used to call each other on the phone and like, pretend to masturbate to the Power Rangers. And, <laughs> and this was, and this was like, and this was like a very real, and this is when I think, and, I, and I, when I think back to this, I'm just like, oh my God, like this is like so, it's, this is like so coming of age movie, but it's very true. Like, like, like he would talk about like the Pink Ranger and I would talk about the Yellow Ranger, obviously both the female Rangers. Um, and yeah, he used to like call me on the phone and like, be like, 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 you know, like, are you, you know, like, I mean, I forget the language we were using, but it was basically mm. like masturbating over the phone about the Power Rangers. Wow. So, yeah, so, so that was also a reckoning. <laughs> wow. I have never heard. I mean, I think that maybe I had a crush on one of the Power Rangers now looking back. I can't remember which one. I can't really separate them. Tommy. But, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. With the, did he have the ponytail? Yes, the ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. That one. Was he the Black Ranger? Uh, no, he was the green one. He was the green one. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like that's a, I've never heard of about like a kind of heterosexual bonding over that or like, like a experimental thing. That's, that's fascinating. It was, it was experimental for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, what's it like at, like, what's it like with your family at this time? Like, are you getting kind of supportive? messages from family and friends or like well do you feel encouraged to explore that side of yourself okay so at the okay so so get this so at this age i had a friend named tony and uh tony came from like a pretty rough home um and so one day and like tony and his mom would like argue all the time like i mean but like argue in the way where like they would like it was like like, like a 12 year old and like a grown person having like a curse out argument. It was pretty intense. And so um, anyway, so one day I was at Tony's house and he and his mom started arguing. I remember I was like eating like a pudding cup or something. And (laughs) mid argument, his mom just lashes out at me and goes like some, she says something like, that's why you're always hanging out with that gay ass little kid, Michael. And I remember literally like I stood up, I started crying and I ran out of the house and I ran from, because I didn't live in the same neighborhood as Tony. I lived, we lived in neighborhoods next to each other. And so I literally ran, I would have to like ride my bike into his neighborhood. I got on my bike and I, I rode my bike all the way to my neighborhood and I ran in the house crying, like deep, like ugly crying. And my mom obviously was like, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? She thought like I was like hurt, like physically hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't talk for a while. And she goes, what happened? What's wrong? You tell. And then she like, you know, and then in that mom way, she, and then, cause I didn't want to say, and then she was like, no, you're telling me what happened. <laughs> and then I was like, Tony's mom called me gay. And, and then like, my mom was quiet for a bit. And then she was like, well, she was like, do you think you're gay? And I was like, no. And then she was like, well, she was like, if someone says something about you, that's not true. She's like, then she was like, then it shouldn't make you cry this much. 
And I was like, yeah, but I'm crying because an adult said it. And, you know, like at that time, I had already had so many kids, you know, because I was a pretty effeminate child. I had had so many kids, like, you know, always saying something like that to me, like, oh, yeah, get on the bus or something cruel. But I think, you know, it was hearing, it was hearing an adult say it that mm. that and, and you know and at that time obviously people were only only equating you know never obviously never my mom and my dad or anybody in my family but well actually no in my immediate family but 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 you know at that time uh you know obviously people were only equating you know being gay with, with you know with something negative you know it's like kids on the bus if they called you gay it was like calling you a loser you know it's like those 100%. two those two words were like synonymous so it was like having an adult say that it was like this like crushing you know this crushing thing you know very very much so what you would imagine some like black and white film from the 60s where someone's just like it really is true you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um... yeah that was maybe the first was that the first time that someone said it to you and you thought oh they know something that i don't uh you know what yes because it was an adult yeah um yeah because it was an adult and you know what I mean? It's like, like I said, it's like if the kid said it to you, it's like, obviously kids just people, I mean, literally like people, I mean, the word faggot literally was like synonymous with calling someone like a loser or something. It's like kids said it, kids used to say that word so much. Maybe they still do in certain parts of the world. Um, but like, but, but kids used to say that word, that word so much that it's like, that would kind of just roll off your back. You were just like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, whatever, you know, but, but this adult saying this about me, I was just like, oh my God, like, ah. <laughs> And did your mom go any deeper than if if it's not true, it's no problem? Well, did you get um, any reinforce? Did you get any encouragement? At that time, no, no, no. And it wasn't like in a negative way, but kind of more like a let's just like let this rest and not talk about this anymore right now way. Right, right. You know, um, I think also literally that same year. I had found a horribly filthy pornographic magazine on the side of the road near our house. Like someone had like thrown it out and I had gotten like, and that was, and it was like very, it was like graphic. It was like all women. And I think, and, and like my mom had also found that in my room. So like, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think the jury was still out for her. <laughs> right. Right. Got it. Um, well, it's a really powerful memory. Like, and it's obviously, incredibly ingrained because you can even remember you were eating a pudding cup at the time so it was like no, it was not and like no no no, no. Like, like that was, was an like, experience it was no that was that 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 rock i mean come on that rocked me from like 11 12 13 you know what i mean yeah. Four, and it was it was 14 when i ended up having my first you know queer experience but uh but yeah like that like oh my god that like rock, that like rocked my year <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh you're like i'm not gay i just like marianne and sybil <laughs> doesn't mean anything it's fine <laughs> um exactly well thanks for sharing that story um shall we move on to the the next item i, I know we just gonna take yeah you, you can't I, I just feel like i can never do it i can never do an interview that isn't or, or talk that isn't a, like a sprinkle of trauma <laughs> oh babes that's what we are all about on this show it's trauma and light. It's dark and shade. And like, <laughs> that is the, the gay experience. That's the queer experience. So. That is the queer experience. <laughs> um, what else are we going to talk about? That's what people love about us, babes. 
person. So we're going to move on to your next item, which is person. And you have given me uh, vaginal cream Davis. Yes. Ooh, love that. So we are probably fast forwarding what? Four or five years, something like that. We're, we're, I'm now, I'm now fifteen or sixteen. Um, I, I would even say fifteen, going into sixteen. And so, one day, I was at a Barnes and Noble, which for those of you who don't know, Barnes and Noble is a chain bookstore in the United States and across the world, kind of, kind of. Um, maybe is Barnes and Noble in the UK? <laughs> is no. Barnes and Noble? It's not in the UK. No. Okay, no. so it's just in the good old US of A. Um, and, uh, being in North Carolina, you know, Barnes and Noble was really my gateway to a lot of, of cosmopolitan culture because, you know, at at the time, you know, websites, you know, were a lot of the times like websites or art and fashion stuff was like flash. And like, if you had a slow connection, it wouldn't Mm. load. And like, it was just, (laughs) so, so magazines were still very much so like art and culture and fashion magazines were still my gateway to everything. And, and, and they were only found at Barnes and Noble um, in kind of like the lifestyles Mm -hmm. section, which was literally like literally the lifestyle section translated as like queer. (laughs) 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 And, and, um, and so um, there was a magazine, there were two magazines that were so formative for me at this time. And they were paper magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was index magazine. And so Vaginal Cream Davis, I, I believe actually, if she didn't have a regular column, she was definitely a contributor to paper. And then my, my, my big debut, you know, my, my big intro for Vaginal was there was an issue of index magazine um and inside of it was an article about two people bibby hansen who is the daughter of al hansen who was a really famous abstract expressionist painter and bibby hansen also is the mother of singer songwriter beck and she's also an artist in her own right and she also uh was best friends with vaginal with vag and they had a band together called Black Fag. And uh, basically like this, there's this, this, there was this article, this expose on vaginal and index. And it just, it blew my mind because uh, I think the first time as a child, you know, me seeing vaginal, this was, I think the second person that I had ever seen in drag and kind of lucky for me, the two people that I had, I had ever seen in drag was first, you know, RuPaul mm-hmm. and then, and then Vag. And and RuPaul obviously was very formative for me because the the the, sh- the show that I came I came to know RuPaul honestly I think through one of the best ways as, that a kid in the '90s could know RuPaul, which is you know I didn't know RuPaul from Supermodel or any of that stuff. Like I was way I mean I was like four years old or three years old or something, but I knew RuPaul from the VH1 talk show, mm-hmm. and so my experience already. And I've talked to people about this. My experience already of Rue was like very normalized actually by that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like even and, and VH1, you know, at the time was like MTV and that it was super alt. And obviously like as a kid, I was drawn to anything alt, but, but, but yeah, like, so, so I, 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 I my first really experience of Rue was through the talk show. So it was like of this kind of like normalized character with this per this person. Yeah. But, much less othered, I guess. Because of much, that, just like yeah, 
othered, but much less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and also, this is a time when you had, like, I mean, when talk shows were titan, it's like you had Ricky Lake, you had, mm -hmm. um, you had uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, you had Jenny Jones, you had Montel Williams, and I watched all of them. But, mm -hmm. but back to vaginal. But, but when I first discovered vaginal, this was someone, okay, that in my child's brain reminded me of Rue, but there was something way more far out going on. And, and you could tell and also it's like the drag wasn't as polished and it's like that wasn't even a concern and and i i related a lot because i could tell that this was a transgressive character um mm -hmm. this is somebody who was punk and was like super punk and 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 made zines and you know was in bands and uh and also did artwork and so where you know where rue would have been like kind of this oprah in my mind it's like i related more definitely to, to, to vaginal as like who is this new person you know because at, at that time my lexicon of cool was like little kim missy elliott macy gray jamiroquai um kathleen hannah and and then also that was the other thing vaginal so i was really in, at that age i was really into riot girl music like, like at that age, I had rediscovered early 90s Riot Girl. Mm -hmm. um, and then also uh, a really popular band at that time was the new band created by Kathleen Hanna called like La Tigra. La Tigra. La, oh my God, La Tigra. Every day you know, every day <laughs> Who you know. And they reference vaginal in Hot Topic, don't they? Yes. Oh, whoa, look at you, Crystal. Whoa. So, yeah, so so Vaginal Davis, and then Vaginal Davis is on, like, they, she's referenced in Hot Topic, and then she's, like, on, like, uh, another La Tigra song. And, anyway, so, yeah, that Vag was the Pandora's box to what I would, that Vaginal, for me, opened up, like, what would become, like, I mean, for me, I guess, subversive, you know, mm -hmm. perverted, wild, weird, like, you know, like, like it just the Pandora's box of what it is to be queer. And I am forever, forever grateful. <laughs> I guess, yeah, Vaginal's really interestingly placed where she's like fully immersed in that riot girl punk movement, but is one of the few like really queer people from that scene as well like everyone is oh, queer yeah. adjacent but like vaginal was like i guess probably the perfect representation for you also it's like the stuff that she would i mean the just the stuff that vaginal would say also her website her website i, I think hasn't even changed since that era and it's like i would read her blog and just the uncensored filth that would come, oh. in, you know, that would come out of her, her, her mouth. And then, you know, it was through vaginal that I discovered things. It was through vaginal that I discovered, you know, people like Greg Araki um, and, you know, people like Bruce LaBruce and, and things like Hustler White and homo core and queer core. And just, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's like vaginal was the vehicle because she was such a polymath. No, is she is such a polymath. Um, that you just uh, through vaginal through vaginal's website I, I learned so much and then what am i talking about i'm not even sharing kind of like one of the biggest details 
I exchanged emails with Vaginal. Vaginal, like I wrote Vaginal about being a performance artist and Vaginal wrote back on my Hotmail account, Blue Sky Tree. Wow. Wow. How old was that? Vaginal is one of the reasons. Vaginal, Vincent Gallo, and Bibby Hansen are the three reasons I ran away to New York City when I was 16 years old. <laughs> I had written, I had written Vaginal an email, and she replied. And I, I think Vaginal and I, Vaginal and I only had about two email exchanges. But at that time, I had also written La Tigra, and they replied. Um, and then Bibby Hansen. So if I ever meet Bibby Hansen in life, like me and Beck's mom, like. Bibby and I would exchange like I mean, Bibby and I exchanged like five or six emails seriously because I had all these questions about performance art and how performance art worked and and it was through these magazines like Paper and Index that I was being you know in, that I was being introduced to avant-garde culture and being this 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 kid in small town North Carolina I just I didn't I wanted to understand how things worked like I like I wanted to understand how an artist got a gallery or how a performance artist made a video wow. or, you know what I mean? And I, and so I would write, I would write these people with all of these kinds of questions. How generous of them, no offense to reply. Like that's incredible that all three of your heroes were like, no, that's fine. I'm going to, I'm going to explain this to you. Well, I'm going to have this, this chat with you. Well, this is a crazy time when, cause people are like, well, how did you get their emails? So guys, way back in like the early 2000s, magazines used to literally like 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 in the back like if people chose to you could just find like anyone's email <laughs> like like it was just like like anyone's like anyone's email was there i mean one of the one of the late, later on in my 20s one of the first people to ever publish photos that i created was nicola formiachetti who you know was uh was mm-hmm. lady gaga's former creative director and this is when he was the editor at dazed and I got that to happen because Nicola's email was in the masthead. You know, people's emails wow. used to be in mastheads. Wow. <laughs> there you go. That's an amazing lesson. Um, I want to quickly go back to what you were saying about Kathleen Hanna as well, because you ended up making a song with Kathleen. <laughs> did you Did you tell her, like, I used to email you and, like... So... I had at that point spoken so publicly in interviews about her and La Tigra. I think she pretty much knew. Like right. I had I had talked about how they, I had emailed with La Tigra. I had talked about how I had been to La Tigra shows. I had talked about how I was just like this huge, huge La Tigra fan. And then I was a huge fan of Kathleen's solo project, Julie Ruin. Julie, Julie mm-hmm. Ruin, I... Julie Ruin, in a way, was even more influ- influ- influential to me than than certain Latigra albums. I would I would say, I, yeah. But anyway, it doesn't even matter. But um, ran so run so fast that song. Well, sorry, oh, I'm Ju- also a big I'm also uh, a huge Julie Ruin fan. Julie, so my, mine is mine is Crochet and Stay Monkey. Okay, amazing. Um, you know? Everyone, you need to go check out Julie Ruin because it's probably something that you've not heard of if you're listening to this but make um, me want to crush uh, <laughs> and um party city i love party city wait is, okay is this on the, on the original release maybe not maybe the maybe the when she redid julie ruin like okay what, okay five okay. years ago yeah okay okay that okay you know what you know what i actually want i need to i want to listen to that i want to listen to that record I want to listen to that record because there there was a really great, awesome guy named Kenny who was in that band who like 
who really befriended me and also supported me. All what's what's crazy is that they've all been supportive. Like Jade, like like Jade, like the fact that like I like can like DM with JD and like mm-hmm. you know, we we've, we've even done we've even done JD and I have even done like events together now. Like we we played shows together, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know with uh, with JD uh, DJ and his men, you know, uh, and and yeah, but. That that day, okay, you know what? What was crazy about that about the song that Kathleen and I did together, which is it's, it's called "A Moment with Kathleen" on uh, <laughs> a, a mix. So literally, it's called "A Moment with Kathleen." Um, and it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> that day in the studio, I was recording, and my manager, I like, I, I actually honestly didn't think it was going to happen. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, and I didn't think it was going to happen for any, you know, negative or bad reasons, but I just thought, you know, we just hadn't heard back from her. I thought maybe she was super, super busy. Like it was like, we had reached out, but, um, but, but Kathleen also, and she's been very public about this, uh, has, is it, is it Lyme or she just, yeah, she Lyme has, disease. Yeah. She has Lyme disease. And, and that does honestly make her quite fatigued a lot. Um, you know, that obviously doesn't, you know, but anyway, I just, I just wasn't sure it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden I'll never forget this. Cause I started crying. I was I was with the producer in the recording booth and she just came in. <laughs> no, and I seriously, she just came in and I started literally, I remember I started crying because I, this was the first time that I had ever met her. And it's like, this is the first time that I'd ever met her. And now she's in the studio with me. And so I remember when I had a moment away with the producer after, you know, I think when she was first getting acclimated to being in the studio and someone was getting her coffee or water or something, I turned to the producer and I go, no matter what else happens today, we're making a song happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I was like, whatever else we've been working on, like, we're going to pause because like, we're going to create a song and it's going to work and it's going to, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so, yeah. And that, and yeah, it just, and you know, what's funny. Um, I didn't even realize I was doing this. I'm such a, I was so influenced. I was such a fan, but a journalist who wrote about the song after it came out was like, she basically said something to the effect of like, like Mickey Blanco in this song affects the voice that Kathleen Hanna affects (laughs) in like other, and other, and other, cause I start the song like with like, Oh my God, Gobby last night I met Kathleen Hanna. She was so cool. She, you know what I mean? And it was like, it you was totally like, had a moment with, with Kathleen. It was, it was this osmosis, fully osmosis. Oh, that's gorgeous. What a story. Um, I'm just trying to imagine what would happen to me if like, I was just, if Kathleen Hannah walked into my office or something and was just like, Hey, I'm here. Like, let's make some art. Like it just, it would blow my mind. But yeah, I had JD Sampson on the podcast last season and that was also like a real mind blower for me because yeah JD was like an such an early queer visibility thing for me it was yeah like and it's like it's these you know it's 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 these these are the moments these these literally are the moments for life when you're like oh like I okay I am a working artist (laughs) you're like 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 when these full circle moments happen like now now this is going to be name dropping, but it's but but I don't care. Um, you know where I was when I we got that first phone call from Madonna. 
I was yeah, in... I do know because I read a I read an interview. But say, tell it, tell it. <laughs> so the first time, the first time I got the ever phone call from Madonna, I was in an IKEA, <laughs> <laughs> and and she and she's really polite. Madonna is if you ever talk like if you first if you ever like she's very like polite, and so she's like, is it is it okay that I'm calling you right now? And I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, and I'm like yeah and i literally don't tell her i'm in ikea i go into one of those staged kitchenettes and i just close like i close <laughs> like i close the curtain and like it's just like i fully have this first you know this first kind of like audition whatever you know this first you know are we gonna vibe what is this person who is this person this first phone call yeah it was the first phone call of madonna i'm literally in a staged ikea kitchenette Oh my god, that is so gorgeous. What a what a picture, what a what a vision. Um for those who don't know, Mickey starred in Madonna's Dark Ballet music video in 2019 and it's an absolutely gorgeous music video and yeah, I mean yeah, you you've worked with Madonna not just like a little bit, but like you were Madonna's muse. Well, let me tell you, that like just that whole situation, I think from my I think from my there have been a there have been a few things that have happened in my career where my entire family is like, oh, you're kind of famous. <laughs> and, 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 and and that was and that was one of them. That was definitely that made ripples through the whole family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And that's so funny. That story about Madonna calling you, like it's totally different potatoes, but like when I got the call for Drag Race, I think I was in a Pret-a-Manger, which is like a cafe <gasps> chain. Yes. And, and, and I was like, I knew what it was. And I was, they were like, can you talk now? I'm like, uh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely fine. So like I go out and just stand in the alleyway next to a dumpster and like just have that exact call as well. And you're like, everything's totally chaotic around me. And I'm just like trying to focus on this really important moment that's happening. And it's just like every the highs and the lows all at once. It's, it's nice. Well, it's nice to have those. I like, God, I, maybe, you know, I really, I, I do in some way, hopefully one day we'll somehow join the Drag Race family, somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, it hasn't, yeah, you haven't been involved in the franchise yet, have you? No, there's been some stuff with World of Wonder, but I just, you know, I, like, I remember, I, I remember, okay, so there was like this sliver 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 of time when I actually considered auditioning and thank god I would have gotten eaten alive I would have gotten eaten alive wow I would wow have gotten... I can <laughs> I babes like... what I would have like gone home like first challenge like you would not have you would not have but that is like a mind-blowing revelation there was this, but I just, I, you know, and that I, I just, you know, I just, yeah, I, but it, yeah, there was a sliver, there was a sliver, there was a moment where I was like, should I? <laughs> Babes, we need you on the judging panel. That's where you belong. <laughs> so Mickey, we, um, we just went on a wild, lovely detour of your life, but I, um, I want to get back to the things that made you queer. And so we've talked about your teens a bit and the next the next place where I think we're going is your music and maybe into your twenties. So let's talk a bit about like music and 
coming of age and adolescence. Music. Where in the world were you in your 20s and um, what was happening for you musically and, in, and then in your queer journey as well? I mean, okay, so... I mean, in my 20s, I guess it's kind of like, well, I, okay, so I started to rap. I started to rap. Okay, so before I started to rap, I was doing this, like, noise music, like, poetry, and, and you know, I was, like, super inspired by people like Iggy Pop and Susie and the Banshees, mm-hmm. but then also, mm-hmm. honestly, like, equally inspired by, like, Beyonce. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I mean... A lot of us Bayhive have our. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us Bayhive have our, you know, particular reasons why we are Bayhive. But for me, you know, for me, my love of Beyonce, it's not the obvious, it's not the voice, it's the insane work ethic and the like, I'm gonna get this, like, it's like the showgirlness, like, I'm going to get this right and I'm going to nail this and I'm going to nail it. And no one's going to tell me that I'm not going to nail it. And, and so when I started making music and I started performing, I would actually watch, okay. I would watch Beyonce live. Um, I would, I would watch, and this is just, this is just, this is during I'm Sasha Fierce era. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like tracks like diva. I mean, kitty cat, like, you know what I mean? Like it's just wait is 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 put a ring on it on Sasha Pierce no put a ring on it is on the next album put a ring right? it is yeah no no it is Sasha Pierce that was the lead single wasn't it oh it is okay so it's like that, is that, is that all on oh, one God. album God I don't know if it's if we're wrong the Beehive's gonna come for okay, us okay we're gonna come, <laughs> and, and then they're gonna be like you're not really Beehive yeah but anyway. <laughs> But no, but I would, so when I started performing, you know, I would watch, I would watch Beyonce. I would watch Tina Turner, who Beyonce also was watching. Um, I would watch Iggy Pop. And um, what else would I watch? I think those three were really like the three that I really remember, like watching their live performances. And um, I kind of wait, I kind of feel like I'm maybe going off topic of what you asked, but. but that's kind of where my mind landed. Um. <laughs> no, no, that's not off topic. That's exactly what I want to talk about. Okay. So, and like, uh, you're starting to perform, and you're calling yourself a performance artist at this stage, or you do not? Do well, you not even really know what you're doing? I'm, I'm still definitely calling myself a performance artist because I'm still thinking about everything in this very art world, art school way. Like, I'm definitely considering myself like a, an interdisciplinary artist, you know, um, and. And so it's like in the creation of Mickey, there were so many of these elements from all of these people that I, I, that I just, you know, all of these influences that, that really created, you know, who I, who, who I am, you know, because it's like, it, you know, some of the early Mickey raps, you know, I, I, I use this same, you know, very characterized, very caric- very caricaturized you know, voice, you know, that's very much a nod to vaginal and very much a nod mm-hmm. to Kathleen. Um, but then it was this combination of this very intense punk, you know, like 
uh, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like at my early shows, I don't think that people or a lot of people had ever seen someone who was presenting as femme, who was trans identified, who was in drag, however you wanted to label it at the time, like who was also like starting mosh pits at their shows and screaming at the top of their lungs and like coming on stage in a baby doll dress and like lighting sage and like, and you know, it's like, it was all of these elements, but then, you know, I would do things like, you know, I would do things like I would rap over like some noise punk beat. But then I remember one of, one of my early, you know, because uh, I never really did covers, but I remember that, 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 that I did do this thing really early on where TLC had come out with that album Fan Mail. And so there was a song called Silly Ho and the, the, mm-hmm. beat, the, the production was like awesome. And so to the instrumental of Silly Ho, I would do this rap called Left Eyes Back. And it was like, and it was like, left eyes back, left eyes back. And like, and like, and like, and so like I, I said, there's my, my actually, I, on Vimeo somewhere, um, on Vimeo somewhere, there's a, there's a video of me doing this, but my early Mickey raps were, I mean, they were so arty. It's like, you know, I, which I, which I love. I mean, God, I love this period of my career. It's like, I got a, <clears throat> hold on, <clears throat> Ooh. Um, but like, like one of the, one of the early raps goes like, I got a valley of dogs eating my pussy like crazy. Uh, I got a, I got a, like, I got a lozenge of halls or something. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, or, or one, I mean, one of them is very much like, um, I am the anime, I am the anime angel spice. Um, uh, I am the anime angel spice killing all you haters. Uh, call me Dren cause my blood is spiced. Many men and women wish death upon Blanco, but I got my bows and arrows straight shot Squanto. If being fine was a crime, I'd be on death row. Boot up with the bosses cooking John Gotti pesto. Whisper sweet nothings in my ear, suck my left toe. Pussy so tight, nigga licked it and his throat closed. Black Sailor Moon, Doom Generation. Dark Joan of Arc, now give me my veneration. I'ma keep this one short and sweet like my outfits. In the mirror, glossy lips suggesting how this crown fits. It might sound arrogant, it might sound bold, but everything I touch turns to motherfucking gold. I know Mickey be the bane of y'all's existence, but listen, the queen bitch about to go the distance. <laughs> yes! That was one of my, that was one of, I think that is, if not the first rap or one of my very first raps ever. Wow. Wow, and you still got it, like, just all up there. Amazing. And what we've got some Sailor Moon references. Doom Generation. All the things I just talked about. So good. So good. And and like literally manifesting that Joan of Arc moment as well. Oh, well, which is crazy because I think about that. I'm like in the very first, in the very first rap, I'm like Dark Joan of Arc. Now give me my veneration. (laughs) Babes, you got it. You got your veneration. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Thank you for the little concert. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was that was really OG OG Blanco. <laughs> amazing, amazing, and yeah, you're watching Iggy Pop and um, and Beyonce. Like, is there anyone that you see like you at this point? I mean, you mentioned Vaginal Cream okay. Davis, but so okay, this is what's crazy is that okay, two things. I'll say this: what's really crazy is that. I've had this very organic career 
that like came like truthfully like one of those actual stories because these stories don't exist anymore with social media in the same way but I, I like I have one of those careers that literally like was on, was on the precipice of social media so it's like I really did like come up from the underground <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I still I mean this next release and the one that's going to be in 2022 is only going to be my second my second album so it's like I still haven't like reached my own peak. I've not reached my climax. Like I like to so many people coming up, I'm about to be this brand new artist they've never heard of before. And that's mm-hmm. cool. But I've thought about this and I thought, you know, there, there is that, there, there is that side of you, especially if you're a certain kind of showgirl, where you think, huh, like what, like what bitch out there is doing me <laughs> and not, I'm going to be honest. I'm really excited for the queer artists that I've seen. I mean, people, people like, you know, like a King Princess or a Little Nas or, uh, you know, or, um, uh, you know, God, why am I going blank? Or, you know, or, or, you know, or, you know, I mean, there's actually more queer artists in pop, actually, which is awesome. Troy Sevillan, you know, M&EK, all these awesome, amazing people. Um, But like, there still is not, a Mickey Blanco. There's not a new there. I mean, trust me, if there was a new Mickey Blanco, I would admit it and say it. <laughs> right. But but like there's still not, there isn't, there is not yet a new Mickey Blanco. And and you know, like lucky for me. <laughs> yeah. They're just they're, I, I I just don't still see yet anyone. Because now, well, now this is the thing. The new Mickey Blanco would have to, like, the new artist who would be in my lineage would have to go even further than I did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't yet see someone who's doing that in that no, way. <laughs> and I guess there were lots of people maybe coming up at the same time as you? Like, well, yeah, like Leaf, my, so maybe? My, I mean, my, or... contemporary, my contemporaries are like Leaf, Cakes to Killa. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm honestly just a very few years shy of I, I mean Frida Frida's not I would say really isn't my contemporary Frida really is still a Frida Big Frida is a pioneer to me because I remember yes. yeah so so but so but yeah I would say like cakes leaf um there, there are some Frida, artists that that are that are that are my contemporaries for sure yeah I, Frida is um yeah maybe maybe the best example there is of someone who kind of had that mainstream moment and maybe was a bit of a breakthrough for you but it does really feel like for sure what (laughs) what you've done is like a breakthrough for a whole new generation and like as you say your ascent is still continuing so I definitely don't mean to imply that you're like a legacy artist in any way no no that's like the I'm no that's what's funny about me like I like this is what's weird people literally though talk about me like I've been around for 20 years (laughs) Which is like, I guess a good thing, but like, it's, it's funny. I, I am in that funny, weird position. A woman did a reading for me once, a, a, a tarot or psychic or something like that. But she said something, the, the, thing, the thing that stuck was she was like, you deal so well with crisis. <laughs> and, and she was like, and she was like, she told me, she told me she saw that as something that, that I had developed over like many lifetimes. She was like, you know, she was like, when shit hits the fan, you really know how to bounce back. And and I really do believe that. And, wow. and, and so for me, 2020 was, 
about finding that joy. And it, and it, obviously I was depressing everyone else. And, you know, it was, it was, this was a whole, I mean, this, you know, this wasn't personal, this was global. And we all, you know, dealing with this whole thing collectively, you know, as, as a human race. And, and then, and then to come straight into the George Floyd stuff and the Breonna Taylor and just, I mean, it was just all like a lot, but I tried to find joy in the chaos and, 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 and it, and it isn't difficult for me to find joy out of chaos. And I'm really grateful that, that my life has given me that. Yeah. Wow. It's a great lesson. And, um, I can't now, now hearing all of that, I can't wait to hear this new music even more because it, um, I'm going to have all of that in my head as I listen to it. And that's really, that's really special. And you just need to remind yourself that when the world gets up and running again, that like, you know, it's not just about the next show or the size of the audience, but like the craft as well. It's good, good, good lesson for, for you that you've taught yourself is wonderful. Okay, we're going to move on to your last item, which um, is the wild card. And I think because we've had a really long chat already, why don't you just... A therapy session. Yeah, yeah, I know. I love it. Why don't you just shout out um, maybe like a, a queero or two or someone that people should check out? Okay, who do I love? I am obsessed with Kelsey Liu. I am so obsessed with Kelsey Liu. She is one of the most talented newer artists she's still new newer she's but she's one of the most talented just like i just am wowed by the things that this human being the music that this human being makes uh and then another artist that i am just wowed by the things that this this person does is uh eves tremor um who is you know just just amazing wonderful if you if you don't if you don't know the music of kelsey lou or eves tremor they are just two of the most exciting things I think to can happen. You s- can you spell them for me? I don't know either. So, okay. So Kelsey Lou is K-E-L-S-E-Y and then space L-U. And then Eve's Tremor is Y-V-E-S like Eve's Saint Laurent. And then last name Tumor. T-U-M-O-R. Maybe it's tumor, but I say tumor. <laughs> like the, like the, like the. Kelsey G- Lou and, got it. And, they and, just, and they've got a song, and they've got a song together. Oh, they have a song, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> two but, and one. But they, yeah, but they're just two of the, oh, and then, oh my God, oh my God. If I don't plug this, if I don't plug this, because this could, okay, so. I would tell you, besides listening to this podcast, besides listening to this podcast, <laughs> one of the podcasts that you all need to be listening to is Celebrity Book Club with Stephen Philip Horst and Lily Murata. They are two of my oldest friends, and this is one of the funniest podcasts that I have come upon and just, I'm sorry, like, they did not ask me for that plug, but if I am going to be plugging, <laughs> I want to, I want people to hear this podcast because it is, it is hilarious. Celebrity Book Club with? Stephen Phillips Horst and uh, Lily Murata. Okay. For everyone who's also just looking, Googling that right now, there is a, 
There are two celebrity book clubs, so don't go for the first one. You want Stephen and Lily, and I'm going to follow that right now. Yeah, celebrity book club. With, okay, I'm saying they've got a name. Tegan and Sarah episode, so <laughs> I am already sold. Um, amazing! Thank you for those those recommendations. No, um, I, thank you, Crystal. Thanks for having me, <laughs> babes. It's been su- it's been such a treat. It's been such a treat. Okay, I'm gonna let you go, but just before you do, just a quick game. I want to play a quick game of, but is it queer? Is it queer? So I'm just gonna oh. give you a couple things, and I just want you to tell me if they're queer or not, and why. Um, we'll figure that out together. Um, okay. It's this is going to be the but is it queer footwear edition. Um, <laughs> so Mickey, are they queer? Combat boots. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Unless, unless they're on someone actually going into combat. Oh uh, well, mm, that can still be very queer. <laughs> <laughs> War can never be queer, Mickey. Or can well, it? Okay. Well, I don't. Uh, I don't. Well. <laughs> that's a bigger question for another yeah, that's time. A bigger... Okay, I'll oh, let you have out. it. Combat boots are queer. What about Crocs? You know what? Sat painfully, yes. <laughs> I think so too. Um, my drag friend Barb's, who is Bimini's best drag friend, she I have seen her in a croc with um, a stiletto gaffer taped to the bottom of it and like if there's nothing queerer than that <laughs> yeah there's, there's just something very like it's very just like you know just like a soft queer like like making oatmeal and crocs like <laughs> yeah totally or also Ginny lemon and her crocs oh Ginny my lemon. god jenny yeah okay last one um socks in sandals oh you know what? That's unquestionably the trade. <laughs> so I'm sorry, weird. but that. Well, yeah. Oh, actually, yes. I'm sorry, but that 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 combination is unquestionably though, like like the trade. Like it's just like it's like if anyone ever wants to give trade, just wear socks and sandals with some like Adidas shorts, and you're you're you're, you're there. Totally agree. Okay, well, that's it then. All of that footwear is queer. I think maybe the answer is that all footwear is queer. Maybe <laughs> maybe we just own uh, everything from the ankle down. Um, babes, okay, that is it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's Crystal. been such I... a pleasure, and for giving me so much of your time. You know what I'm really, you know what I really love about this this interview is that I'm surprised how much I didn't I didn't swear. <laughs> oh, great. Wow, I'm, oh. I'm becoming so cultured. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. It's it's my effect. I just have that kind of classy effect on people. What can I say? <laughs> A real class act. That's me. That's me. Class and a lot of ass. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. Got some more amazing guests coming for you next week. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please go share the word, leave a review, um, and tell a friend. Pass a note, send a pigeon, whatever it takes. Spread that queer word, please. I'd also love to hear what you thought of the episode. What did you like? What would you like more of? Tell me. And um, 
Also, please tweet me the things that made you queer using the hashtag the things that made me queer, and I will share them on a future episode. Thank you again for listening, and until next week, I've been Crystal. Stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Oh, and queer too. Our theme song is Something Like Summer by Caveboy. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production.